Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by Old School Lane, producing various content from blogs, videos, and podcasts discussing about movies, TV shows, video games, and everything else in between since 2011. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and YouTube. We're associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Aaron Meta Show. Welcome to the last episode of Casual Chats for 2022. I am Patricia, and I am back with my very special guest, Clancy, who you may remember we did the Mighty Ducks franchise podcast. So welcome, Clancy. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about the quadrilogy, if you can believe it, of the attempts of a Christmas story sequel. So I'm sure a lot of people know about the classic 1983 film, A Christmas Story, about a little boy named Ralphie Parker taking place around 1940s Indiana, who wants nothing more than a red brighter bb gun for christmas because it was a major flop when it came out in theaters and a lot of people knew about it from television and vhs and the constant reruns from tnt it has now become a christmas staple and so today we are going to be talking about the not one not two not three, but four attempts of trying to cash in on the popularity and phenomenon that is A Christmas Story. So right before we go into those, I want to talk about the original Christmas Story. So I did a discussion about this really briefly with my sister Carlene on the first episode of 25 Days of Christmas, an Advent podcast where we look back on movies and specials every day leading up until Christmas. So I've already stated my thoughts of it. If you want to hear about it, then go check out that podcast. So I want to know from you, Clancy, what are your thoughts on A Christmas Story? Having watched your podcast, I think I enjoyed a little bit more than you do. I think uh, you gave it a three out of five if I remember right yes, and for me yes, I did. it's more of a four and a half out of five is how I'd rank it it's not one that I watch every single year just because I find if I force myself to watch Christmas movies every single year I kind of get burnt out on them mm-hmm. but it's one that every couple of years I definitely really enjoy it's just a very nice kind of slice of life movie And that's something we really don't get too much of anymore. So I like films that are just kind of, you know, there's not really an ongoing plot. There's the 
thread of him wanting the BB gun, but it's not like every single scene is solely focused on this is step 37 to get the BB gun. It's just more of that's what carries you through the story. Yeah, and I guess it does make a lot of sense because it is based off of a series of short stories compiled into one book. So it does make a lot of sense why it does switches off from between Ralphie wanting a BB gun for Christmas to Ralphie confronting the bullies to the old man getting the leg lamp. So it's all just a bunch of short stories that are compiled into one big film, which is why the movie is the way it is in terms of story structure. But at the same time, a lot of people do like that because we get to focus on different situations with different characters. And I can kind of see why people really do find this movie very, very relatable because I'm sure at some point we all wanted that one gift for Christmas and we were told for one reason or another we can't have it. So, I mean, I already told you about mine and my sister told uh, her story about it. So what was that one gift for Christmas that you've always wanted, but for some reason or another you were never able to get or you were told by somebody they couldn't get it for you? This is, I did get the gift, but it was... The fourth Spyro game, I think Enter the Dragonfly was the name of it. Oh, okay. It was a game I really, really wanted because at the time Spyro was huge. Spyro's what got me into video games. And finally got it all excited. It was a PS2 exclusive and I only had a PlayStation at the time. So it was like another year before I actually got to play my Christmas gift. Oh, no. Day. Oh, man, that's that's pretty rough. And then it ended up being Enter the Dragonfly, which if you know anything about that game, it was not worth the wait. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, childhood. Gotcha. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I think that at the end of the day, we all had our fair share of wanting a specific Christmas gift. And whether it met up to our expectations or not is up for debate. But nonetheless, um, yes, A Christmas Story is still to this day one of the more renowned Christmas classics that people tune into every year. And we are going to be talking about four attempts in which they try to cash in on it. And some have been more successful than others. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about it. So the first one we're going to be talking about is a TV movie that came out around 1988. It was a collaboration between PBS and Disney, which is a very interesting collaboration. I have never heard of PBS collaborating with Disney. So... It is a TV movie called Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss. It was written by Gene Shepard, but produced by Fred Barzik, as opposed to uh, the collaborations with Bob Clark. So they actually have collaborated a few times in the past because around the 70s, there were several TV movies and specials focusing on other short stories from Gene Shepard's books. And so I just want to quickly read off a quick synopsis of what it's about. So... It takes place years after the events of A Christmas Story where Ralphie is a teenager and it takes place around summer vacation and it focuses on him getting his first summer job and the preparations of a two-week camping trip over to Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss. And um, yeah, I think that the structure of the story is very akin to Gene Shepard's writing and it makes a lot of sense because he did write this, um, this TV movie. And so we do get a mixture of different stories that are happening with, you know, Ralphie Schwartz and Flick working at the furniture store and being really miserable about it. Ralphie's mom trying to find their dog Fuzzball, which just so happened to wander um, out of the house and is completely lost and she's trying to find it. 
And then we have the old man trying to get himself prepared for the two week long vacation over to Ollie Hop Noodles. And yeah, it basically plays off very similar to A Christmas Story in which there's like separate stories that are happening in between, except that they're a little bit more focused on the characters. And there's, a, you know, there's, uh, I mean, due to the fact that it's been, you know, several years since A Christmas Story, they have different people reenacting as these characters. So James C. King is the old man. Jerry O'Connell is Ralphie. And I think that, um, you know, for a lot of people who grew up with it, they really do enjoy it. But it's be it became obscure for many, many years because, of course, it was only a TV movie that was released on the Disney Channel in the 80s. And it was from my I mean, I think it was released on VHS. But other than that, nobody really talked about it until like maybe several years later when it was uploaded on YouTube and then people started rediscovering it again. So I watched this for the very first time not too long ago and I have my thoughts of it. So I think yours was pretty similar because when I told you about it, you've never heard of it. No, I had never heard of this whatsoever. I had known about the one that came after for a while, but this one I was just like, wait, honestly when you told me the name it kind of sounds like a made-up name it doesn't sound like something that's an actual movie you know yeah it does ollie hop noodles haven of bliss like that sounds like a children's book more than like a continuation of a christmas story so yeah i can see where you're coming from with that so yeah let me know what your thoughts of it were um i enjoyed it overall i mean it definitely shows that uh made for tv feel to it uh there's certain elements that i think didn't work like for example the uh, subplot where they're looking for the dog i just i didn't find that part too funny or entertaining i thought the father character who can be a bit too mean-spirited and all of the things i think he kind of went a little too far in that particular one yeah but i feel like once they really get on the road that's when it kind of like it goes from like kind of stumbling to more finding its groove there and it honestly reminded me a lot of vacations I took as a little kid you know yeah so yeah me, he he kind of just took me back there's a line at the very end uh I'm gonna butcher the quote a little bit but it's something along the lines of no vacation ever lives up to the vacations you took as a childhood when everything is new and your innocence is there it's I butchered the quote, but it's something along those lines there. The spoilers for the ending, if you haven't seen it. Uh, by the way, we're going to spoil everything from this. So if you haven't seen it, then go look up all the movies we're going to be talking about and then come back to us. But once they arrived over at Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss, it starts raining. And it's going to continue on raining throughout the rest of their vacation. So all the planning, all the preparation that the old man had done throughout this entire movie all ended up with them just being inside their cabin which is a very rundown cabin that's really leaky and old. And that's how they spend their vacation. And that's pretty much what happens. The only time in which it is like really nice and sunny is when they arrive over there. And we have the scene in which when Ralphie is asking his mom about why doesn't my dad call me like Ralphie? He always calls me like these little nicknames. And then she just tells him, well, I mean, that's just how your father is. And he really loves you. Which um, I don't recall that happening in A Christmas Story. Maybe that has happened in like the short stories where the old man never referred to Ralphie by his name. But I just found that to be like really interesting. In fact, there's a lot of interesting quirks that happens with the old man in the first three of these uh, TV movies that we're going to be talking about. So 
But yeah, for this one, I do agree. The old man is just way too mean in this incarnation. And I get it, you know, that he's supposed to be like the grouchy old man that we've seen in not only the short stories, but also in a Christmas story in which, you know, he does come across as a grump, especially whenever that the furnace goes out and whenever that the Bumpus hounds are always in the way. I get it. But the scenes in which, you know, he specifically told his wife, wake me up at four in the morning. That way we'll be the first ones on the road. And then when she wakes up, he's not getting up. He just starts yelling at her. He says, you know, where's my cigarette? I just want to smoke and I want a coffee. And he's just like constantly bombarding her. It's like, okay, this is taking it way too far, dude. I mean, I get it that around that time, you know, the... um, Women were just very, you know, very patient with their husbands because, you know, they were the breadwinners and all they did was just like having to listen to what they said. But still, it's like if I were in a situation where I was with a person like this, I would leave immediately. So, yeah, I'm glad that things have changed in terms of that. But yeah, I I think that what they were trying to do was trying to emulate the acting of the old man from the first movie, but just... I don't know, maybe they just felt like, okay, we want to try to see if we can be able to elevate his performance, but yeah, they just went way too far with him. And another thing that I agree with you is the subplot with the mom and trying to look for fuzzball. It's like, I just didn't care. It just made me feel like I was taken away from the other subplots that we could have been focusing on more, such as Ralphie having his first job at the furniture store or the old man doing his preparations for the camping trip. I just felt like they've it's it's almost like they needed another plot to go forward and that's the only thing they can think of they don't focus on randy at all in this christmas um in this special and it it, kind of makes a lot of sense because i mean just like in the first a christmas story randy is obnoxious like he's such a spoiled brat in this one always complaining about not eating or having to go constantly to the bathroom every time that they do their trip it's just like uh, he was just so, so unbearable. I can understand why they never did a subplot with him because it's like, wh- why would you even be around him when the times in which he is on screen, you just want him to go away. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head with this one. It's like the other ones, while the characters have their flaws, they're still kind of endearing. But with this one, I feel like it's just cranked up a little too much. Yeah. Because the brother did definitely get on my nerves very quickly i would say that in terms of the randys that we've seen in all four of these sequels he's probably the worst one yeah i would definitely agree with that yeah now the only good thing that i can say about this movie is that jerry o'connell as ralphie i really enjoyed his performance out of all the ralphies that i've seen like that are trying to emulate peter billingsley i think that he was probably the closest one i mean other than the 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 actual peter billingsley as ralphie in the fourth one but again you know the outside of him i think that he was the only one that like captured what i felt like peter billingsley's ralphie would become i mean like from the way that he looks from the way that he acts i think that he's able to capture it not to say anything bad about the other people who played as ralphie but i feel like if i were to say okay this is like a teenage peter billingsley they weren't able to get him because he was busy with other stuff and then jerry o'connell comes along is like yeah i could definitely see him being this teenage version of peter billingsley as randy i mean he certainly acts pretty well he looks the part and I think that uh, overall he did a pretty good job. I think he was probably the best casted out of all of them. 
Now, I mean, there are some humorous moments that are sprinkled in between. I mean, I do agree that the best parts of the movie is when they go on the road trip all the way over to Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss. You have all the classic tropes that you would see in a road trip. Everything goes completely wrong. The car goes down. There's a whole bunch of chickens, um, feathers that are flying up into the air. Uh, Randy's complaining that he's not, um, that, you know, that he wants to go to the bathroom constantly. Uh, They get lost. They go outside of the road like you would expect all of this stuff to happen and it just plays off really really well on the frustrating parts of going on a family road trip especially around the time in which you know we didn't have like map quests or gps's to find the way to go somewhere we had to rely on you know memorizing the um, streets and the roads and um following a map and relying on memory of how you went through the last time that you traveled so that stuff can be really really frustrating which it does play that pretty well so overall i do think that this is a pretty decent tv movie i think that as a follow-up to a christmas story it doesn't exactly hit it quite well due to the flaws that we mentioned earlier but if you are interested in checking it out i would say do so i mean it has the same narration of gene shepherd and he's always a delight to hear and he even appears in the movie as the supervisor of the furniture store that ran uh, that ralphie flick and schwartz work at so he's always good to see and yeah i think that overall it's okay but i think it's a little bit too flawed for me to give it a full recommendation yeah i would agree with you there it's definitely a film where if you watch it i don't think you're going to end up hating your entire time watching it but it's not something that i feel like you have the need to go out and see unless you're a big fan of a christmas story and just want to consume all the sequels Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I just want to read off a quick um, excerpt from the book, A Christmas Story Behind the Scenes of a Holiday Classic by Cassine Gaines, where he mentions about, you know, the success that A Christmas Story was able to bring and leading up to the sequels. When producers and executives decide to extend a franchise past its prime, they're doing so either because they think fans can't part with their favorite characters or because the producers themselves don't want their popular properties to stop making them money. Either way, these decisions are often misguided. At best, they fail to excite their most supportive followers, or at worst, they threaten to alienate fans and damage the franchise's reputation with the general public. And then they then they talk about like, um, you know, Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss, where at the time it was received pretty well by critics. And because of the critical reception that this movie was able to bring, that was what made Gene Shepard decide that he was going to make the theatrical follow up with My Summer Story or It Runs in the Family. So this is the movie that came out in 1994 and it has Bob Clark back as the director, Gene Shepard back as the writer. And pretty much every single person, with the exception of the lady who played as Miss Shields, they all were completely different with their casting. So, uh, very interesting. We have Kieran and Christian Culkin playing as Randy and Ralphie. And I was thinking, oh, this is kind of um, interesting because... I get it that it was trying to follow up the success of Home Alone. Macaulay Culkin was able to become like the face of Hollywood and he was appearing in so many movies. And I take it that, you know, with the fact that we have Kieran, who also appeared in Home Alone and Home Alone Tunas as well, and he also appeared in other films. 
I guess they were trying to say that, okay, let's try to see if we can, you know, bring in the Culkins to see if they can be able to top bill this name. And um, yeah, we have Charles Groken, who plays as the old man, and Mary Steenenberg plays as the mother. What is this movie about? Well, once again, very similar to um, A Christmas Story and Ollie Hop Noodles. There are several plots that are going on in the background. So Ralphie has um, a a spinning top and he's uh, competing against the school bully so that they can be able to see who's going to be the one who's on top of the game. We have another subplot involving with the mother collecting a whole bunch of dishes so that she can be able to get this massive collection. So yeah, there's just, again, like a lot of other short stories that are going on in between. So very similar to Ollie Hop Noodle, it did get like pretty positive reviews um some of them were a little bit more mixed up than others and the movie did okay in the theaters however trying to find vhs and dvds of this movie is very very rare and this movie unlike all the other ones that we're going to be talking about it is really really hard to find like it is not available in any streaming service whatsoever so you have to dig really deep to find it and I would say that in terms of trying to capture the essence of a Christmas story, there's some times in which it does succeed, and then there's some other times in which it just falls completely off the mark. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, just to add to it being so difficult to find, the film actually changed titles when it went from a theatrical release to a home video. It went from It Runs in the Family to My Summer Story, which makes Googling and trying to find information on it almost impossible yeah i have no idea what made them think to change the title at the very last minute like it it just makes it really really confusing now i can understand like title changes because it happens all the time in which like you know a movie has like a working title and then they would change it to the official title but no in this case it's like okay the movie is called this and then when it hits the theaters it's called this it's like that's just going to make it really confusing yeah, I mean, the only other film I can think of that did this is that uh, Tom Cruise one, uh, Live, Die, Repeat, I think is the name they finally settled on Yes, for. that's the one, yeah, I remember. Then they had an, another title that was mixed into it, which makes it really confusing. So, yeah, I remember that the movie was called um, Live, Die, Repeat, and then when it was, um, you know, released on DVD and it was released on other um, streaming services, then they called it to edge of tomorrow so yeah if you're trying to look for the tom cruise and emily blunt movie it's going to be either called edge of tomorrow or live die repeat so yeah that's also really confusing since you have to jump through so many hoops to watch it i feel like the film might not be worth all the hoops but personally speaking i first saw this when i'm want to say i was in elementary school and my family were watching a movie on cable as you would do you know just random movie uh, let's check this out and i think i remember about halfway through it kind of dawned on us oh this is the christmas story sequel it, it's like you know you're only half watching something and then finally realize oh i know what this is exactly yeah so this takes place in like a few months after a christmas story so it takes place in the summertime and 
uh, yeah, it definitely does try to make it feel like it's a Christmas story in terms of, again, with Gene Shepard doing the narration and Bob Clark is doing the directing. And also, you know, it has like a lot of, you know, similarities to a Christmas story where we have things such as like uh, Ralphie dealing with um, a new villain instead of Scud Farkas because he was demoted after Ralphie beat him up in a Christmas story. Now we have a new vil- uh, bully named Lud Dicta, which is like wonderful name, by the way. <laughs> anyway, and so then we have, um, you know, Ralphie trying to find the perfect top so he can defeat Lug because the first time they try to do it, it was a tie. And so then he finally finds a top that he deems wolf so that he can be able to beat lug's top which is named mariah and then uh we have um you know uh, the old man subplot involving with the bumpuses again which i i guess the bumpuses just so happen to be like a major um you know issue when it comes to the old man's plot i mean first we have the bumpuses eating uh, the bumpuses dogs eating the christmas turkey and then yeah, we have the Bumpuses in this case where we have them playing a bunch of obnoxious music and building an outhouse when they didn't even have, um, you know, pro- pro- proper warranty to do so. And so as time goes on, the Bumpuses just get even louder and louder and louder with their music and the old man is just not having it. And once again, very similar to Ollie Hop Noodles, Miss, you know, the, the mother's subplot is just completely useless. Like, who cares about the fact that she's trying to collect these, you know, dishes for this massive dish set? It's like, why should we even care? Yeah, I would say uh, of the different plots, uh, it's the ones that I enjoy are the subplot about them going fishing and the one about him trying to find the perfect top. Uh, but the ones with the neighbors, I feel like it would work for like maybe one or two scenes, but it gets drug out maybe a little bit too much. And with the mother's subplot of trying to get the last dish in a set, it just feels like it keeps going on and on and on. And it's building up for what's supposed to be a very, yeah, moment when they just finally all snap and start throwing them at the guy. But it just, it doesn't work for me personally. No, it doesn't work for me either. I just felt like... You know, once again, you know, with all like the little different stories that they try to mix in here, some of it works. And then there's some others in which like you just don't care. You just want to skip on to the other stories that you want to focus on. I think that uh, the presentation is nice enough. And I would say in terms of like um, Kieran and Christian Culkin's portrayal of Randy and Ralphie, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I definitely do like that there were some scenes in which when Randy is uh, trying to kind of like act like a cowboy and then Ralphie is also trying to uh, come up with an excuse on why he didn't write his school essay, but instead tried to copy off of um, his dad's pretty adult book saying like, it's the best book I've ever written. And then the teacher confronts him is like saying, did you really read this? And he's like, yes. And so I thought that that was actually pretty funny because it had like that, you know, adult uh, uh, undertone, which I thought that that was actually pretty humorous that a kid would say, oh yes, this adult book that I found under my dad's bed is the thing that I'm going to write for a school report. That's perfectly normal. And the teacher, I love the moment with the teacher who, as you stated, is the only reoccurring cast member from these films. Uh, like trying to be nice and like where did you get this book and finally snapping like where did you get this book yeah 
I would I really love that scene with her. It's just a shame that she's not more in this movie. But then again, it makes a lot of sense because it is summer vacation. Exactly. Yeah, but I I also do really enjoy the scenes in which whenever they did the top competitions, I thought that that was actually pretty cool. I mean, I had no idea that kids even did this back in the day where they had like these spinning tops and they would like, you know, have this um, big deal where kids were like circle around and see like which top was the one that was standing. It almost kind of reminded me of like Beyblades in the 2000s when my cousins used to own it and they would like be spitting these tops and, you know, they would find out, okay, I'm going to put this thing on it so that I can be able to have a bigger advantage and stuff like that. So it was like, wow, you know, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly. And what it also reminds me of is uh, there's a Peanuts special where they go to summer camp. I think it came out in like 2000 or so, but they play uh, marbles. Very similar vibe to it. Very Americana old games that were very popular in like the 40s or so. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Uh, Jacks and marbles and stuff like that where, you know, they would have like that kind of competitive edge to it. Overall, in terms of how this one turns out to be, I mean, I think it is better presentation wise because, of course, it's a theatrical movie. And I think also that the casting was not too bad. I mean, Charles Grokin as the old man, again, it just feels like a facsimile of the old man that we saw in A Christmas Story. Not as grouchy as the Ollie Hop noodles one, but just... I felt like his was a little bit more justifiably grouchy because the bumpuses were causing all of this ruckus. But still, I just felt like it was no nothing more than just like a copycat of what we had gotten before as opposed to his own standalone performance. Yeah, I would agree with that. For me, I think he did have some good moments like that one's interaction with the cop, I think, is just hilarious where the where Ralphie's narrating. It's like my father suddenly became hard of hearing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a pretty funny moment. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that overall, there are some good things about this movie. But then there's some things about like, yeah, I can kind of see why this was a major bomb in the theaters. I mean, it literally just made $71,000 when it premiered in the theaters after a $15 million budget. So yeah, pretty much the people who did see this film were like saying, yeah, it was good, but it just wasn't as good as the original. And I and like we said before, finding this movie is super, super hard to come across, especially because of multiple reasons due to the fact that it's not on a streaming service. It has two different titles and it is available on VHS and DVD, but they're, again, really, really hard to come by. You have to, like, order it online in order for you to watch it. And some of the DVDs are like, holy cow, I'm not paying that much for it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, they're really, really pricey. And especially since this is DVDs in an era that we already have Blu-rays and streaming services, it's like, yeah. I mean, unless, of course, if you are a hardcore fan of A Christmas Story and you want to actually have a collection of all the other sequels, yeah, this is definitely not one that I would recommend that you purchase. I mean, like I said, there are some good things about it, but at the same time... I mean, there's, again, like too many flaws that would give me like a full recommendation for you to check it out. Yeah, for me, I'd describe it as it's a perfect film to watch if you come across it on cable or something. But it's not something where you should where I feel like it's justified in seeking it out unless you are a diehard Christmas story fan. 
Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so let me just uh, read off again another quick excerpt from the uh, book, uh, A Christmas Story Behind the Scenes of a Holiday Classic. Despite Clark's best intentions, complications plagued the production. For one, Peter Billingsley's spot-on portrayal of Ralphie Parker proved very difficult to replace. Kieran Culkin, the younger brother of the then-royalty Macaulay Culkin, was assigned to fill the tall order of Billingsley's shoes. Bob had a very, very difficult time finding somebody to play the part, Teddy Moore, the woman who played as Miss Shields said. And I found the young lad he settled on to be unsympathetic in the role. At the time, he was very young, and it seemed like he was pushed into something he wasn't too happy about. I don't think, and that showed in the results of the film. Uh, perhaps making matters worse, Christian Culkin, the youngest in the family, was cast as the as R- Ralphie's younger brother, Randy. According to Scott, uh, to Zach Ward, the person who played as Scott Farkas in the original Christmas story, he said he thought it was a good movie, but he, uh, because it was my summer story, audiences saw it as a vague and non-specific reference to childhood. It didn't connect with the audience specifically for people who grew up with a Christmas story. The original film had a classic heroic structure. That's what made it work. But when they removed it in the characters, they made a movie that didn't follow the structure and the audience felt cheated. Very interesting analogy, I would say. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, I think he kind of hits the nail on the head again with that one, honestly. Yeah, I think so, too. That, you know, if you see it as its own thing, it would be fine. But when you see it as a sequel to a Christmas story, then, yeah, I can understand why people felt really cheated on saying like, oh, but it feels like the movie that I grew up with as a kid, but it's not the movie that I grew up with as a kid. Yeah, I I would almost describe it as like watching a tribute band, if that makes sense. It's like they're playing all the same notes and everything. It just doesn't have that same spark and magic that you would want, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so now we go over to what everybody on the Internet just absolutely blew up over when they first heard about it in the trailers and online. We're talking about like almost 20 years after My Summer Story and about over, um, yeah, I would say like over a decade after A Christmas Story. So now we have A Christmas Story 2, which I remember when people were just blowing out of proportion when they saw the trailer. They thought it was like a Saturday night skit. They thought it was like fake. But then they when they realized, especially when they saw the title, A Christmas Story 2, the official sequel to A Christmas Story, that's when it just blew way out of proportion. Yeah, I remember this one having like this was back when the dislike bar was still a thing. And it was like all red on the YouTube trailer for it with like a little tiny speck of green. Yeah, exactly. So let me just read off some of the people whose responses of the trailer first coming out were. So um, iWatchStuff.com posted this following response. With little regard towards shooting our nostalgia out, Warner had decided that the film they dubbed the most beloved Christmas story of all time is in need of an instantly less beloved straight-to-video sequel. Uh, Russ Fisher from SlashFilm.com said, I'm trying to come up with anything substantial to say about that trailer, but for the most part, it's just sad. MSN.com said... That the thoughtful classic would be tied to this blatant ripoff is making YouTube commenters see red. And clearly the producers have their eyes only on the green. 
Uh, Dave Trumbor of Collider said, In the true spirit of the holiday, A Christmas Story 2 seeks to feed out the nostalgia for the original film like a parasite and trick you into wasting your, your hard-earned money. Season's greetings! Rolling Bishop from Geeko System said, If you ever wanted to convince someone that there really are vile people out there looking to mine childhood nostalgia for golden nuggets of currency, might we humbly suggest that you watch the trailer for A Christmas Story 2? And then finally, last but not least, we have Alicia Lutz from Hollywood.com who said, Cult-like Hollywood classic and my mother's favorite movie of all time. A Christmas Story has a sequel. At long last, screamed nobody. You're welcome, said Hollywood. So yeah, pretty much all of those responses were from the trailer. As for when the movie came out. <laughs> oh, it's even worse. I did not watch this until uh, you asked me to be a part of it for the podcast. And it's like, I was prepared for it to be bad. Oh, my word. Yeah, exactly. I was not prepared. No, I no, was I wasn't not. prepared either. I had not seen this movie either. And I was hoping to ignore it for the 10 years that I was like seeing people talk about it. And then when I knew that I had to talk about this movie because A Christmas Story Christmas was out and I wanted to watch all four of these sequels, I had to stomach myself, turn on HBO Max, watch the movie. And I was just bombarded with just all of this weird decisions that they decided to put into this movie to not only try to capture on the nostalgia of the original, but to also do a whole bunch of just generic, predictable stuff to kind of call it a warm, sentimental Christmas classic, which it clearly is not. So this is the first time in the quadrilogy that we're talking about in which Bob Clark and Gene Shepard had nothing to do with this because they had both since passed away. Uh, Gene Shepard passed away in 1999 due to natural causes, and Bob Clark passed away at around 2007 when he and his son were involved in a car accident. So knowing about that context and knowing that at almost 30 years after the original Christmas story had been a classic and at that point in time, there's been merchandise. The uh, Christmas story uh, exterior location was made into a museum. And there was a lot of people who really enjoyed the viewings of it whenever TNT aired the 24-hour long marathon. And there was even a Christmas story musical that happened around that same time. And there was even an NBC special starring um, Matthew Broderick as the older Ralphie. So you probably have heard about that. But due to the sake of streamlining this we're not going to talk about the musical we're just going to talk about the other films so yeah i would think that um you would think that maybe they would try their very best to kind of like you know be very similar to the other ones in which it's like okay we have a series of like little short stories that are sprinkled on in between and you know trying to see like what the other characters are up to they kind of do that but not so much as ollie hob noodles and my summer story like for example there's no focus on any of the mother subplots which thank god it just streamlines the story which some people would be like oh really but i wanted to see all the other stuff but i think that by streamlining the story it actually makes the film a lot more quicker to watch but still it's not a very good viewing so <laughs> what is this movie about now that we're going into it so it takes place about six years after the original film ralphie's now a 15 year old um, teenager who wants a Mercury 8 convertible for Christmas. So very similar to the original movie, he wants something for Christmas that he knows he cannot get. 
And so uh, he sees um, the car on a display ramp uh, and he decides that he's going to like pretend to take a drive into it. But he ends up backing up the car when his leg pants get caught up in the brakes and a plastic reindeer falls down on the convertible top and breaks it. And then he has to pay $85 before Christmas Eve. Otherwise, he, Schwartz and Flick get arrested. And so they get us a job, which apparently is the first job they've ever gotten. <clears throat> and they work in in multiple places until eventually they work at the Higby store and they have like multiple sections of the store they work at because they suck. And then there's also another subplot involving with the old man and he's being a pen. He's like a cheapskate and a petty pusher saying like everything has become way too expensive and he doesn't want to spend an extra three dollars on purchasing the turkey and instead he wants to go fishing so that they can catch something for christmas and he's really cheap on getting a new furnace because the old one is smoking out just like it was in the original and his wife is just really really frustrated with it and i guess this one is a little bit more focusing on randy this time where instead of you know him just being a cowboy like he was in my summer story now he's into flash gordon and science fiction which sounds really weird like his character doesn't feel like randy which i'm sure for some people they're like thank god he's not the annoying brat that he was but still it doesn't feel like the character at all and you know he spends a lot more time with the old man because well he's a kid and randy's a teenage uh, is a teenager and he's working at the sh- at the store so he can save up the money that he needs to so you know spending a lot more time with him and with the old man and then we have another subplot with randy getting his um teeth chipped because he was eating a candy bar and he has to go to the dentist to get a filling and Yeah, there's just a lot of things that are happening here that are trying to be like really sentimental to the movie or trying to remind you of the movie. It's like, hey, remember this part from the movie? Remember this part from the original? Like there's even a very similar scene in which when Flick decided to put his mouth inside of the mail tube and I'm like, why? That's stupid. It's like, oh, I get it because they're trying to recreate the um, the scene in which he stuck his tongue into the flagpole. Okay. But yeah, I mean, everything about this movie is just really stupid. I'm, I tried to find at least some good things about it, but I just couldn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, you can definitely sh- tell that the original creators are not involved in it because like, while the directed DVD and the My Summer Story are flawed, they feel genuine. They feel like there's a genuine attempt to actually like continue the story, especially since these stories were based on Gene Shepard's real life growing up. So you can tell that he has a love for these characters. Here, everyone feels like a cartoon character of the original movie. And I also feel like they aged up the main cast a little too much. Because, like, just for example, Flick putting his tongue on the pole when he's in, like, I forget what grade they're in in the first film, like, second grade or something like that. I don't even Um, know. But it's, like, it's endearing. You're a teenager and you're sticking your mouth in the mail chute. It's, like, no. Fired instantly. I don't feel bad for you. Yeah. 
Exactly. And, and again, they're definitely trying to, you know, check off the things that you see in the original just so it can make it feel like it's a continuation. But it just reminds you about the original that you want to see it again. It's kind of funny because, you know, it's in the same streaming service that the original is. So it's like, why even bother watching the sequel when you can just watch the original anyway? I mean, it does have, like, very similar beats, like Ralphie wanting something for Christmas and he thinks he cannot get it because of, you know, various circumstances. Check. Oh, we have um, Flick sticking something in his mouth or his tongue and it just goes into a comical direction. Check. Oh, we have scenes with the old man acting like a grump. Check. Oh, we have the mom trying to be really supportive. Check. Oh, we have a scene in which when Ralphie once again goes over to the Chinese restaurant. Check. Oh, we have the leg lamp back. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, I know the leg lamp has become such an iconic part of just the original movie as a whole, but it's like, if you go back and watch the first film, I think it's in, like, three scenes. There's in the first scene when he gets it. There's in the little scene where the mother purposely goes back inside so that she can turn it off, and then it's in the scene where it gets broken. And that's it. The first film knows how not to have everything overstay its welcome because it's just here for a couple gags. Let's not overdo it. This, yeah. it's like, remember the first movie? Yes, I do. I much rather would be watching the first movie. My God. I mean, it, it is really infuriating when they try to call this the official sequel, when it just feels like it's trying to cash in on the first movie, but not doing it in a very genuine way. Yeah, and I think it definitely also shows that, like, when they did the original two sequels, Christmas Story may have started to get a following, but it wasn't the 24-hour marathon yet. It was still no. kind of that film that, like, hey, have you heard of this film? It's worth checking out. So I feel like they weren't so beholden to the original, and this is what happens. This is what these films are supposed to be about. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess we want to go into how the movie became such a pop culture staple that we know it as. So shortly after the movie came out in 1983, it was only in theaters for like a few weeks and then they pulled it out. And then eventually it was released on VHS around 1985. And, you know, several people did get of the VHS and then it was released on HBO and several people did watch it. And then around the late 80s, around the time in which when Ollie Hop Noodle's Haven of Bliss came out, people were aware of it, but it wasn't like a major pop culture staple yet. Then when it came out around the 90s, then people were starting to tune into it. A lot more people were familiar with it, but it wasn't until 1997. That was when the TNT 24-hour Christmas story marathon started, and that is when it started becoming a lot more bigger. When A Christmas Story 2 came out, already at that point... Not only did the marathons happen about for 15 years, we also had, uh, let's see, merchandise from Hot Topics such as the leg lamp, the shirts, there were, um, you know, um, Christmas, um, you know, story pajamas. I mean, not even kidding. Like, I remember when shopping at Walmart about 10 years ago, I actually did see like the um, replica bunny pajamas that you can get from a Christmas story. So there was already a lot of merchandise from it. And as mentioned earlier, the Christmas story museum was already opened at that point. So the movie was already a 
a staple by the time that A Christmas Story 2 was out. When when Holly um, Ollie Hopnoodle and My Summer Story premiered, it was a cult classic and didn't hit into the mainstream uh, until much later on. So it was a Christmas movie that some people did know about. I mean, especially around the time in which when those movies were out, I mean, I'm sure that there were other Christmas movies that people were thinking of. Like around the late 80s, I'm sure they were thinking about maybe National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Scrooged. And, even, and believe it or not, around that time, It's a Wonderful Life started becoming a little bit more popular because it was hitting the public domain and every VHS and every TV channel aired it. Yeah, that movie that came out in the 40s didn't become a major staple until the 80s. And then around the 90s, when you think of like 90s Christmas classic, you think of Home Alone and you think of Muppets Christmas Carol, you think of The Santa Claus. I mean, I mean, My Summer Story came out the same year as The Santa Claus. So it wasn't so a Christmas story wasn't that big yet. Again, mentioning before, 97 was when it started hitting the mainstream, and that's when people started tuning into it every year. So now when you know about that context, A Christmas Story 2, that was when the whole thing about like, you know, this is nothing more than just a cash grab. Why do you think they mentioned it here and not mentioned it with the other sequels? Well, the fact that Gene Shepard and Bob Clark were not a part of it and the fact that it came out almost, uh, third, you know, like 33 years after the original. Yeah, you can kind of see where people were complaining about it. Yeah, and it's like going off of what you just said, thinking back to like, Holly Hop Noodle, I think there's one callback to the original film where Ralph is like, Dad, do you want some help with the car? And he's just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's then, a really nice, subtle reference to what happened when Ralphie tried to help fix the tires. He accidentally drops the the nuts and bolts, and then he says, oh, fudge. So, yeah, that's a great little callback. Yeah, and then in my summer story, there's the little thing where he has the BB gun and his mother calls up of don't shoot your eye out but instead he shot himself in the rear end and it's like it's a little callback just so you know hey these are connected yeah but it's not dwelled upon exactly like that was like one reference and it was like lasting for a few minutes and then they just continued on with the rest of the story but here there are several references to the original movie and it's not subtle no they hit you like a nail on the head with it yeah, and it's like, I think the only thing they add to this film that isn't a direct reference to the original film is the, I don't even remember her name. The Oh, you're talking female... about the, the girl that ran, yeah. that Ralphie has a big crush on? What was it, Drusella yeah. or something like that? Something like that, but it's like, you can't even call her a love interest because I think she has two lines throughout the entire movie. Yeah, th that whole subplot was really dumb. So essentially, this girl that Ralphie has a huge crush on is already dating a football player because, of course, and he has, like, the daydream sequences of rescuing her from the Nazis because, of course, and then you have scenes in which when, um, you know, Ralphie's imagining that he's driving the car and she's right on his side, and she's only there in the movie, like, twice no three times actually yeah uh, there was like the scenes in which you know they were going to school and you know he sees her in the the hallway while she's kissing the boyfriend and they have band class together that's one then you have the other scene in which when ralphie is dressed up as a reindeer because her her let's reference the fact that he has to dress up as an animal and be in front of public her her and then 
you know, he sees that a $5 bill was like flying into the background. A guy picks it up. He tells him, hey, that $5 bill is not yours. It belongs to charity. He punches him, gives him the $5 bill back. And then the girl sees him again. That's two. And then the third time is like literally towards the end, like before the five minute mark where the movie is over. Uh, you know, Ralphie spoilers again. Ralphie finally gets the car he wanted for Christmas. The brakes is about to go off and he tries to stop it. The girl is right behind him saying, pull the brakes. And then she says, oh, I broke up with him. Uh, do you want to, you know, um, hang out or something like that? And then Ralphie decides to take her around the block and then she's cuddling towards him. And then they drive into the sunset. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this whole subplot that they try to introduce is like Ralphie wanting to have a girlfriend. It's like really shoehorned in, barely in the movie. And it just, he just gets it so quickly. Well, that's the entire film in a nutshell. He just gets everything so quickly. It's like he has to pay back the money for breaking a car. Okay. That's a plot. You can go off of that. That works with the original film. But then he doesn't pay it off and they're just like, eh, forget it. Yeah, I mean, he pays like, uh, I know what they're trying to do here. It's like, you know, Ralphie sees a homeless family and he wants to give them a nice Christmas. So he goes over to the Chinese restaurant and spends like most of the money on the family so that they can have themselves a nice dinner for the holidays. And he gives him like, uh, you know, he gives the the car owner like $39 out of the 85 that he owed him. And he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. You know, your Christmas is paid. Um, your Christmas bill has been paid off. Enjoy yourself. Go home to your family and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, throughout this entire movie, Ralphie's um, punishment goes completely unscathed. So it's like he doesn't exactly learn a lesson about, you know, the importance of, hey, you know, I drove this car that I didn't own and I completely wrecked it. And now I have to pay the money. Otherwise, I'll get arrested and go to jail. But, but no, it's like, you know, now we have this cop-out moment in which the car dealer is like, eh, don't worry about it. The guy that I sold it to, he gave me the money, so you don't have to worry about it. So, yeah, there you go. The pan- the, the problem just solved itself just as quickly as it arrived. Yeah, and it turns out the guy who he sold it to is the father, who has been shown to be a cheapskate throughout the entire film. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So let me get this straight. Like the fall, the old man was not willing to spend an additional three dollars for a Christmas turkey, but instead having trout. But instead, he decides to spend all of his money on getting his son a car. Was this supposed to be like a ploy to secretly say, oh, you know, the reason why I didn't want to spend money on all this stuff was because in reality, I wanted to spend it on giving my son a second car. It's like, then. What? I mean, I wish there would have been like a little, you know, hint of that. Like maybe he was like, you know, putting together like a little jar of, you know, money or maybe he actually saw the advertisement that, you know, he found in the magazine, which, by the way, that's a complete reference to the original film as well, in which Randy put the advertisement for the BB gun in his father's magazine. So they did that again. So, yeah, there should have been, like, a hint of that, but instead very similar to the original in which Ralphie thinks that he got all the gifts he wanted and there was that one gift that he didn't get. Maybe he'll get it next year. And instead, there's just so happens to be a hint of a gift that he did receive and then he goes out and sees that there's the gift that he's always wanted right there. Yeah, and it's also, I feel like it's just another sign of the filmmakers missing the point of the original. It's like... 
the reason the father is so cheap in the original is because he's a blue collar worker. They don't have the money to just throw on another furnace. It's because they have to pinch pennies because they have to in order to survive. Yeah, exactly. And, here, and it's also just like he's cheap because he's cheap. Yeah, I mean, we even saw this little subtle reference, by the way, in which that um, the mother was saving up the bacon grease, which, by the way, is a great little callback to World War II. Now, for those who don't know, World War II went through a lot, and I mean a lot of sacrifices for American families because they had to give up so much. They had to have, like, these um, victory gardens. They had to, like, save up bacon grease because they couldn't afford bacon and other meats. They had to, you know, donate a whole bunch of things so that they can be able to donate it to the U.S. soldiers. So this was 1946. So this was, like, one year after the war. I mean, you know, things didn't just pick up immediately after the war in which people started making a lot of money no that was like years later so i would have thought that maybe there would have been like a little correlation to that oh the reason why i'm saving up this amount of money because well the war is here and um you know and maybe you know we can be able to have like um you know, our penny pinching at that. But now that the war is over, I mean, things didn't just go to being successful right away. Maybe they could have said that, you know, we're even though that we've successfully won the war and we were able to, you know, defeat the Japanese and the and the the, um, the Italians and the Germans, you know, things are still a little bit tight around here. We need to be able to make ends meet. So I would have loved it if they would have had like a tiny little reference to that, maybe very subtly. But no, that's never brought up. It's just like, oh, I'm too cheap to buy a new furnace and a turkey. And instead, I'm going to buy a really expensive car. Yeah, let's be honest. Outside of the clothes they're wearing and the style of cars, this being said in 1946 does not have anything to do with the plot. It's more of an inconvenience because they have to spend a little bit more money to dress up the set than anything else. Yeah. And the only way that you can be able to tell other than the clothes and the cars and all that kind of stuff is there's actually a uh, theater in the background that actually showcases that they're premiering It's a Wonderful Life. So, yeah, in, in order, and other than that, like the cinematography and all that kind of stuff does not make it feel like it's the 1940s. I remember in the original film, there was like a lot of snow and there was like this feel of the 1940s with like the radio playing and all that kind of stuff. But here, they're just like little sprinkles of it feeling like it's the 40s and not really so much into like you can tell that it was done in the 40s anyway. But yeah, I think that you can get what we're trying to say here. Like there is very little that we really liked about this movie. Just everything about it just feels like a carbon copy of the original without the charm. And so, yeah, I would say that out of the four sequels that we've seen, this is probably the worst. Easily. I agree. Yeah. All right, so now we can go over to our last movie, our feature presentation, A Christmas Story Christmas, which premiered on November 17th of 2022. So this is actually really interesting because after many years of Peter Billingsley not being involved in any of the sequels, he's now involved in it. He has co-written the story. He stars once again as Ralphie Parker, and it takes place decades after the original Christmas Story. And what many people consider to be the true follow-up to A Christmas Story. So, the, uh, again, major spoilers for those who haven't seen it. 
the movie takes place in 1973. So this is like over 30 years after the original film. So Ralphie is a full grown adult and he lives in Chicago with his wife, Sandy, and they have two children by the name of Mark and Julie. Ralphie is a writer and he's trying to sell his stories over to multiple publishing companies, but they have absolutely no interest in publishing it. And then he hears the news about the old man dying and he decides that he's going to drive his family over to Indiana for the holidays. And it is Ralphie's responsibility to take the place of the old man so that they can have the best Christmas they can have. And so, yeah, I think that um, out of all the sequels that I've seen here, it definitely is the closest to matching up with the original without the involvement of Gene Shepard or Bob Clark. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a high hurdle to clear or compared to a Christmas story too, but while this one still feels like a cash grab, I feel like the there was a little more effort put into it. If that makes sense, yeah, it does. Because first of all, I mean, I feel like the the production of it is much higher than a Christmas story too, and I definitely do really enjoy the fact that they were able to have some beats that again were kind of like subtle to the original movie, and I guess it also really helps that. You know, for the first time in over 30 years that most of the actors were brought back to being in this movie. Ian Petrella is Randy. Scott Schwartz is Flick. R.D. Robb is, um, uh, you know, Schwartz. And Zach Ward is back as Scud Farkas. Uh, Yano Anana is back as Grover Dill. Uh, the only person who did not reprise their role was the mother, which makes a lot of sense because she had long since retired from acting. And it said Julie Haggerty is now the mother, which I think that she did a pretty good job considering of the circumstances. And I think that also uh, the fact that they did have their callbacks to the original film, such as like, you know, getting the Christmas tree and trying to um, bribe the guy to say about like doing it at a certain price or uh, some other scenes such as like, you know, um, Flick betting, uh, you know, um, you know, basically doing a dare on Schwartz of doing this really long like slope so that he could be able to clear off the tab on his bar bill and also the fact that um you know the kids go over to Higby's and they tell Santa their Christmas wish and you know th there's a lot of similar beats to the original film but at the same time it puts a 70s twist onto it the movie literally starts off with the old Warner Brothers logo from the 70s and there's a lot of music that is played from the 60s and 70s in the background like uh the Jackson 5's uh, Santa Claus is coming to town rocking around the Christmas tree that kind of stuff so it definitely does feel akin to like the 1970s. You see a lot of like old logos from toys and various bits of um, things such as the Easy Bake Oven and the the sled and all that kind of stuff. So it and also the house that they live in in Chicago definitely does feel like the 1970s. And it's actually a really nice touch because, you know, the family is struggling with money. And if you guys know about the 1970s, it was known as the inflation decade where prices of everything was skyrocketing and people couldn't afford anything. I would watch the 70s show to get an, an example about how gas prices and grocery bills and all that kind of stuff were just really expensive over for the foreman house. So, yeah, they do try to, um, 
you know, play off some differences with the original, but at the same time, you can definitely tell that again, they're just relying on the original to make people familiar with the story. So unfortunately, unlike say Ollie Hop Noodles and My Summer Story, it does not stand on its own. You need to see the original Christmas story in order for you to watch a Christmas story Christmas. Yeah, definitely. I will say compared to a Christmas story too, because these films are very easy to compare to each other because they're very much different takes on the exact same idea. This one, it does its references a bit better. I mean, part of with the story and how it ends, you definitely need to reference the original, but it it subverts your expectations with them. Like, for example, in the original film, really bad at encounter with a mall Santa. In this one, the kid actually has a really genuine good encounter with a Santa. You know, it's like, it takes the original ideas and it adds its own little twist to them so that you're not just watching a complete carbon copy. There's even like a kid that was very similar to the other kid in the first movie in which instead of, you know, letting the kids know that he's into the Wizard of Oz and he likes the Tin Man, it was, he has a giant lollipop and he's asking them, do you want to lick it? And they're like, no thanks. So again, there's some things that are kind of similar to the original, but they play it off a little bit differently. Yeah, and I do like the element of the film where it's like it's Ralphie spending his first Christmas without the old man, you know, and just kind of the emotions that you go through when somebody important to you, you spend your first holiday without them there. Exactly. And, you know, not going too deep into my own personal life, but I'm currently going through that as well, where I recently lost two family members and, you know, having the holidays without them is actually pretty sad for me. I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. Anyway, but go, uh, going into that. So, um, yeah, I think that the presentation overall, it definitely is pretty good. I mean, I say it's a lot better than A Christmas Story, too. And again, subverting the expectations, um, I was going to say earlier in terms of like how they brought in Scott Farkas into the movie. So uh, Randy has to steal a Christmas star from Flick's bar because he told his daughter that um, if you don't have a Christmas star in your Christmas tree, then Santa won't come. And so he steals the star from Flick's tree. And then he, when he tries to escape, uh, Scott Farkas so happens to catch him and he happens to put him in his car because he's a police officer. And then just when you think that he's going to be arrested and placed in jail, he actually drives him home saying, is this your house? And he's like, yeah, well, then you can go. And he tells him about how the incident where Ralphie beat up Scut at the playground was a wake-up call for him saying, I acted like a jerk. And I thank you for that because it led me toward the right place. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't expect this whatsoever because in the movie, we saw two kids acting like complete jerks, driving around a snowmobile and knocking down snowmen. And those just so happened to be the sons of Scott Farkas acting like the same jerks as he was in the first movie. We thought that maybe that he was going to act like the same jerk again. But no, he just turned out to be a lawful citizen who became a police officer. So again, kudos for subverting people's expectations. Yeah, definitely. And I do like that they did it, especially because one of my pet peeves is like films where they do this whole sequel 20, 30 years later thing. And it's like all the characters act exactly like how they did however long ago. It's like, no, you're not going to act that same way. You grow up, you mature. So like, I'm glad that they at least took the time to think, okay, how would these different characters act 30 years later? 
Another thing that I really do enjoy as well is that in the original book, Ralphie was reminiscing about his childhood when he went to visit his old hometown and he met up with Flick, which happens to own a bar. And that's where the original stories of the short stories from the book came from. And I really enjoyed that the fact that in the movie, Flick owns a bar and Ralphie reminisces with his friends and they reminisce about the old the times that they had together and talking about the old man. So I'm glad that they were able to tie in the bits of the book and add it into this movie. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely brings it full circle. I mean, I haven't read the book myself, but it's one I've always wanted to check out. I mean, for no other reason, the book is called In God We Trust, All Others Pay in Cash, which is yes. just an amazing title. I want to check it out for that reason alone. <laughs> yeah, it, it's actually funny because that same title is literally in the background of Flick's Bar. So again, tying into yes. the references of the original book. I did not catch that reference. That's Awesome. I'm glad they were able to work that in. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, again, I'm glad that they were able to tie that in to saying, hey, this is where we got our source material from. Anyway, so um, overall, I have to say that in terms of the sequels to A Christmas Story, it, it, it definitely does feel the most genuine despite being a little bit too nostalgia heavy. But overall, I'd say that, it, you know, for some things, it actually succeeds pretty well. I like the presentation. I like the, the way that the characters were able to be portrayed. It does bring in a lot of relatability towards all the characters. Like, you know, I'm sure that at some points, you know, with Ralphie, I'm sure that you probably were the same way in which you're struggling with a job and you want to be able to become successful so you can support your family and the pressures of having to be a family member that's no longer around so that you can make your other family members happy. And, you know, him struggling with writing the obituary for his old man um, was actually a really nice scene as well because, you know, his old man was able to do so much for him that he just couldn't put it into three sentences. So... The fact that his wife was able to send his entire long story over to the newspaper and that had gotten him the job so that he can be able to write more stories for the paper. I mean, it's very similar to what happened with Gene Shepard in which he wrote all of his short stories on Playboy magazine and he became a really well-known radio personality. So again, it's tying in the stories of Ralphie and the life of Gene Shepard together, which makes a lot of sense. So in a way, it's a really nice tribute to not only the movie, but to the life of Gene Shepard, which I know that probably wasn't the main intention because they were paying massive tribute over um, to the old man's portrayal, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, um, that was what the intention was in the story. But overall, if you have to see one sequel to a Christmas story that is taking a place around Christmas, this is the one I would watch. Definitely, I agree. I mean, it's not even a comparison between the two. This is, well, it's not something I'll probably ever watch again. It's like, I don't regret that I watched it. I enjoyed my time. I thought some of the new scenes they added on, like, say, them trying to escape from the carolers or, like, the wife and the mother having a few drinks. That was a really funny scene as well. Yeah, Exactly. Like, you know, them having martinis while Ralphie is going out shopping and the kids are going to see Santa Claus. So, yeah, very, very funny scene. 
But yeah, I, I mean, overall, I would say this is the one that you should definitely watch. Watch A Christmas Story and then watch A Christmas Story Christmas if you really want to know what happened to the characters afterwards. Now, the stories that happened afterwards, like taking place around summer, which is Ollie Hop Noodle and My Summer Story... Now, that would be an interesting one to say which ones you should check out out of the two. Because, again, like we said before, both of them had their strengths, but both of them had severe flaws. So, if I were to choose one or the other, that's kind of hard to say. But probably, hmm, I'm not sure. That's that's really hard to say. I mean, I would say check out both of them and then make your conclusion on which one you would prefer. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I would say... I think overall in quality, my summer story might be a little bit better. Yeah, but, but mostly also... because it is better production-wise because it was a theatrical film. But I personally think that the casting was not as good as, say, Ollie Hopnoodle. I mean, even though that the characters were, like, w taken way too far, at least you can say, okay, it definitely feels like its own character as opposed to being just, like, a carbon copy of the original film. Mm -hmm, definitely. And also, going on that same theme note, it's just so hard to find my summer story. I don't think it's quite worth the effort uh, to put into finding it. Yeah, so if anything, Ollie Hop Noodles is on YouTube, so you probably go check that out. And you would probably bring your own conclusion whether you want to see uh, my summer story or not. All right, then. So that is it on our discussion of the four attempts of trying to have a continuation of a Christmas story. So, Clancy, thank you so much for coming on by. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. All right. So why don't you plug and promote your stuff? Uh, well, my podcast is currently on uh, about a year or so hiatus, but I'm actually talking to Dave, who's my co-host. We're uh, talking about sometime in the new year, bringing it back for uh, retrospects on two TV series. Uh, very different TV series. One will be the recent DuckTales reboot, and the other one is the new Chucky series. So totally we're getting as far apart from each other as possible, but uh, we're still working out the timing and stuff like that. But sometime in the new year, uh, keep an eye out for those. All right. Awesome. And as for me, you can check out my work. It's at oldschoollane.net. Uh, I'm on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash oldschoollane, facebook.com at oldschoollane. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Patty underscore B underscore Miranda. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Radio Public, all those places. New episodes of the podcast will go there first, and then they'll go up in a few days on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Let us know in the comments below about what your thoughts are of A Christmas Story and its four, quote-unquote, continuations trying to cash in on the coattails of the film. Uh, what did you? Which ones did you like better? Did you like Ollie Hop Noodle, My Summer Story, A Christmas Story 2, or A Christmas Christmas story Christmas what was your least favorite what did you think of the casting the story and the overall presentation that's it hope to see you in 2023 take care happy holidays and have a wonderful day mm -hmm.